Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful, my name is Gabe Phillips that we haven't met and uh, I am part of the Life Changes leadership team, the resident redhead. I'm also a father and uh, looking forward to Father's Day. It's going to be good. It's going to be really good. A father of one little baby girl and a husband to an amazing wife called Fiona. And uh, if we haven't met, hello. Hello. Lovely to see you all. It's really good. Nice. Nice to see you. Give me a wave. Give me a wave, everyone. Nice to see you. Evening service. Really, really good to be together. Um, just want to let you know, we are in week two. If you have thought this was a good week to come to church, I want to tell you it's a great week to come to church because you are in the middle of a three-week series that's looking at the heart of Luke chapter 15. It's called All for the One. And for time's sake, I'd like to take us right into the depth of what's going on here. If you're wanting to know a, a, a defense of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was an unconventional guy. He did things totally different towards the norm. And, and Luke chapter 15 is not this light and fuzzy account of, what Je- of some stories Jesus told. No, no, no. This is a defense of Jesus' ministry. If you want to know why Jesus did what he did, Luke 15 is a great reason to go there. It's the very heart of Jesus. And we are believing as a church that the reason that drove Jesus should be the reason that drives you and I. Make sense? Give me a nod tonight. We're going to work together. Give me an old nod. Come on. Thank you very much. I know it's the end of a long weekend, but it's good to be together. So this morning, this evening, I want to push us into the direction. Mark did a fantastic job in kicking us off last week. If you missed last week, do yourself a favor, head over to lifechanges.org.za and have, have a listen because it's a fantastic job of opening up what God is wanting to do to us as a family in the series. But this amazing man, Jesus, this phenomenal communicator, this incredible storyteller, teacher, this, this man who claimed to be God in this moment, Luke chapter 15 opens up and there's detractors who are starting to question why he does what he does. And Jesus taps in, he starts to tell three stories in this, chap- this chapter called Luke 15. And uh, these three stories, what Jesus is doing is remarkable. It's so profound. He's tapping into the primal state of every heart. He's starting to get into the very meat of who everybody is who's listening to the story. Because he knows that everyone who's listening to the story, and I'll introduce you to him now, but he knows that every listener there, just like you and I tonight, are obsessed with lost stuff. We're obsessed with lost, lost stuff. Let me tell you, explain it why and how it reached into our context here today is that a, a couple months ago, I woke up one e- morning, and uh, I did the, as I prepared to go out for the day, I did the traditional wallaby hucker, you know, wallet, car keys, phone, you know. You, make sure you've got those three things you can go into the world. You're safe. You're ready for the day. And I had my wallet. I had my car keys. I had my, key, my phone. And, uh, and, I, and I went, headed out, got into my car, and I headed off to an early morning breakfast. And uh, as the breakfast was amazing, the food was good, and it got to the stage um, of the moment of the meal when the bill came. And I was like, I'll get this. And as the bill came, uh, th- this is a, a trick that Mark Van Fetson pulls a lot as well. But this time it was genuine. I heard you start to lean in there, Mark. But it came the moment where Sonny went, where's my, wa- where's my wallet? And it wasn't one of those student tricks. I swear, I, I don't know, I didn't bring it. Knowing you did. But actually, I, it was a bit of an awkward moment because I told the guy he, I was going to pay for his breakfast. So it was a bit awkward. And I was like, but as he said, no, no, I've got it. Don't worry. And uh, I remember thinking, okay, that's, that's cool. But then you know that nagging thought in the back of your mind, going, where is my wallet? Like, uh, you push it aside and enjoy the me- rest of the meal, enjoy the conversation. Then I thought, you know, it must be in the car. It must, must be in the car. Yeah, that's it. So after the meal, I got in the car, 
And you start the engine, thought, let me just check the cubby hole, expectancy, the brown wallet there, wedged in between the, the old CDs and used toilet paper. You know, just there, just in the corner there. Uh, not toilet paper, tissues. No, just thought, stick with me, guys. Come on. Come on, people. This is church. And, uh, you know, but it wasn't there. The wallet wasn't there. And all of a sudden, now, now it's no longer just a, a mild concern. Now you're just like, wait a minute, where is that wallet? I'm sure I left home with it. Like, you know, never I've got a meeting to get to and driving to a meeting and just going playing through that morning with it. I was like, I'm sure I took the wallet out with me. I got to the meeting and, and as we were chatting, the guy was talking and then as he started to talk, my brain started to wonder to where is my wallet? Because I, we were obsessed with lost stuff and he started, he was telling me something profound and he was wah, 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 because I know I'm not, he was talking, but I wasn't really listening because I'm going, where is that wallet? And I'm like nodding at the right times, yeah, yeah. You know, after me, I'm like, thank you, sorry. If that was you, I met with, I apologize. But in that moment, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I got it, my wallet. You know, you start to, your brain starts to go processing. If it's lost, it's my ID, it's my the driver's license. Then it's the, you know, not much cash. If you, if you, oh, you know, it's all those cues. And I start stressing and getting a bit nervous. And after the meeting, I rushed. I thought, you know, it must be at home. I got to go and sort this out. Or I can't go on with the day. Jump in the car all the way home. Pull, pull into home there fast. Run inside, expecting to see it on the table. Surely, the dining room table will be there. I walk in, it's not on the dining room table. So you do what any self-respecting person will do at this moment. You phone your wife and say, where did you put my wallet? She says, I haven't touched your wallet. You, uh, you, 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 it's there, it's always where you left. I said, no, it's not there. You know, I start to freak out, where is this wallet? And I, and I start getting a bit anxious now, thinking, you know, ma- maybe I left it at the restaurant. Maybe I put it down, someone took it, I need to go and ask them there. So I run and jump back in the car, you know, obsessed with lost stuff. And as I was about to pull away from my driveway, I look into the rearview mirror, and coming down the road is a, is a gentleman who's sprinting at my car, closely followed by a limping woman with a bandage around her head. At this moment, I thought, this is the way I'm going to go. First, I lose my wallet. Now it's the zombie apocalypse. This is it. Just my luck. Just my luck. And before I could get the gear into gear, this gentleman, this, this bandaged head woman, came in there knocking on my window and saying, we've got your wallet. And I was like, you've never seen me as pale as this. More than before. I'm telling you, it's crazy. And it was this moment where I was so shocked. I didn't know whether to celebrate, to thank them, or to just say to them, you can keep it. Please just don't take my car. But in this moment, it was this, this, this incredible moment where these people, it was bin day, and these people had come, and they had been going around the community, as happens in our community often, and going from the bin to bin to try and find some food. And in the process, they said, as they saw me drive off, two and a half hours prior, my wallet was on the roof of my car. It had fallen off. And these people had waited all day, two and a half hours, seemed like all day to them, I'm pretty sure, waited for me to come home to give me my wallet back. And it was a phenomenal moment as I was, it was almost as if I was celebrating the return of a lost, lost love. You know, it was just like, oh, this is amazing. My two new best friends, I still don't understand the relevance of why her head was bandaged. But it was a dramatic moment as I got my wallet back that had so consumed me because we are a people who are obsessed with lost stuff. Maybe you've got a similar story. Where, where did I put the keys? Where did I put that bill? Where did I put my phone? Ah, and it drives you nuts. Jesus knows that condition about a, our, the human heart. And this is where we pick up the story tonight. I just want to read you two verses from Luke 15. This is how it kicks off. It's on the screen behind us. And it says this. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Pause there before we move on. Two things just to bring to light. 
I love it says there are many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Now, just to give you some context, tax collectors were seen as the vilest of the vile in those days. So the reason why is that they were Jewish people, part of the Jewish family there of faith by birth, but they had gone as the Roman Empire had come and oppressed them. They had sided with the Roman oppressors and started to say, we'll side with you. And Rome said, if you go and collect taxes from the people and give that to Rome, you can put up, put whatever percentage you want on top and that'll be your salary. So because that was the way they'd make a living, they started to extortion their own people for the sake of the Romans. These guys, they were so despised because they're saying, you, how dare you go with the enemy? It's like somebody who was a Springbok supporter saying, actually, I'm going to go work for the Wallabies. It just doesn't make sense. What are you doing, buddy? And guys, they were the hated of the haters, so much so that even your regular sinners, your, your normal dodgy sinners, they were like, don't lump us with them, tax collectors and sinners. I just love that. The sinners like, uh-uh, we're not, at least we're not tax collectors. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So these two groups of people that people looked at, and I just, what I love about this understanding is it says tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus. Jesus, his front row of his ministry was filled with the worst of the worst. If that was a church, the front row would not be the guys who are saying, I'm ready to do announcements. It would not be your good-looking Tyler. It would be the, the people who were the worst of the worst. The front rows were filled with people pressing into Jesus were those who were the worst. And Jesus seemed to love it, love to have these guys there. And I want to say this up front, that we want to be a church. We want to be a people where there are the broken amongst us. Somebody once said this quote, they said, a church without the broken is a broken church. Just to let you know, we're not a, a behavior modification society so much so far that we actually believe that it's, we would love people to be able to be, belong before they feel like they have to believe in our midst. That this is who we are. We are a people. Jesus has given us the mandate that we're the only organization in the world that exists for its non-members. This is what Jesus did. And we, want to, we say this, we pray that this will be our heart as well. Just moves on and says, he welcomes and eats with sinners. These, these Pharisees, these people, there's other group, they had the tax collectors, you had the sinners, your regular Joe sinners, and then you had the Pharisees who were seemingly the elite religious of the day. They were looking in on this situation of tax collectors and sinners eating with Jesus. And they had questions. Questions were leaping up in their mind. They were asking questions. Why do those people like this man, Jesus? What is, that, what, why, what is attracting them to this man, Jesus? Furthermore, they would be probably asking questions like, what did Jesus like about these guys? It confused them. It vexed them. They didn't understand the situation. They're probably asking, does he condone their behavior? Is, is this what happens here? I, I would want to suggest that they were so perplexed and vexed because they were losing power and influence in that moment. What I mean by that, because the Pharisees on that day, had, they had the corner on the market of deciding who was in and who was out. They were the ones who would say, you're clean, you can go into the, te- the, the, the temple. You're not, no thanks. They were the ones who had that. And Jesus was saying, came, this rabbi from Nazareth was turning on his head and was actually saying, actually, no, I'm going to tell you that tax collector sinners, come, you can, you, can come and you can come draw near to a rabbi, a teacher, and also to God. And they were getting freaked out because they were losing power. They were losing authority in this moment. They were looking at Jesus. So they are getting so frustrated. They start to ask, why would you do this, Jesus? So as I mentioned, in defense of his ministry, Jesus does something so profound. He doesn't go all lawyer on them. He doesn't go and tell them a, a thesis of why this is working through the Old Testament, explaining, no, 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 Jesus, the master communicator, leans in and says, I want to tell you three stories. For time's sake, the first one 
the story of the 19, the 100 sheep, and he leans into these guys, this, these polarized groups of people, Pharisees, arms folded, looking angry. What's he doing? Tax collectors who are just nervous. They're like, it's just so cool that we get to be here and not getting clapped. It's amazing. Sinners who are there, they all gather around Jesus. And Jesus, in this one moment, to all three groups of people, says, let me tell you a story. He says, how many of you, if you had 100 sheep and you lost one, would not go and look, after, look for it? And probably for the first time ever, the, the Pharisee goes, yeah, yeah, I'd probably do that. The tax collector goes, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The sinner goes, yeah. For the first time, they get an agreement because they go, Jesus understands people obsess over lost things. So he tells him that story. And, then, and he goes on and says, actually, you know what? There's a second story. There's a woman, and she had 10 coins. And he says, how many of you, if you had 10 coins, now coins weren't just like your two-round loose change in the back pocket. They would represent something like a dowry of a woman's in her estate. So let's think of it in terms of just even for us here today, something simple. How many of you had 10 hundred rand notes? If you had 10 hundred rand notes and you lost one, how many of you would be turning over the couch to find it, to look for it? Tax collect- the tax collectors? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Pharisee? Yeah, 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 I'll do that. Sinner? Yeah. For the first time, all nodding, that the Pharisee's like, where's he going? Don't agree too much, boys. Careful. I know this guy. He'll, he's tricky, this guy. And Jesus then moving on in the story, he says, actually, I'm going to tell you a third story now. And this is one of the most, probably the most famous story of the three. Jesus says, actually, there was a dad, and he had two boys. And he says, the youngest of these two came to his father one day and said, Dad, I'd love to take my inheritance now. I, I want to have my inheritance now. Let me put it in the language of their day, what they would have heard it was as if he came and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because you only get inheritances when somebody passes away. He says, Dad, I, want, I wish you were dead. I want to live as if you were dead. So give me your inheritance now. Now, three groups of people couldn't be more polarized. In that moment, they're all unified because in that culture, no matter how far you go, the far, to, to, to embarrass your father and say that was as high as blasphemy. So in that moment, the Pharisees are like, hi, boy. It's in the text. The message version. The tax collector is like, no ways, no ways. That boy, oh my word, he's going to get it. The sinners are like, yo, that's hectic. That's hectic. They're all in agreement in this moment. Jesus, the master storyteller, knows that the hearts of the people. And he brings these three polarized people into what he's doing in this moment. And he carries on with the story. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. And he says, the father, believe it or not, does something that's even more preposterous. The father doesn't whack the boy and say, shut up, boy. The father says, okay, I'm going to give you what you ask for. The father gives him everything as if he was dead. Just it blows their mind. They are going, no ways. This, these guys are almost, I can imagine in this moment, almost forgetting what, why they, where they are. They're like in. It's like a movie. They're like, no ways. No, no, no. I can't believe it. And in this dramatic moment, the father gives the boy the money and he tells the story that the youngest son then heads off to, a, the scripture tells, to a far country, to somewhere very far. And I believe Jesus was doing something inti- intentionally, saying this boy went far geographically, but even further emotionally and spiritually. This boy had gone far. He, his roots, he had left him so far behind, he went on the total opposite direction. He went far, he went wild, and the Bible tells us he spent it all on lavish living. He was cashing checks he could not pay. He was just, he was dropping dollar bills as if he was Kanye West. <laughs> Welcome. 
He was paying for drinks. Drinks on me, boys. Walk into clubs. He was the most, in this foreign land, he became the talk of the town because he was the guy who was dropping bucks on, on everything, paying for Ubers, home for everyone. Just like, Ubers, on me. That's not in the Bible. Just, but I can imagine, he was the guy who was spending all his money on loose women, on wild living, on dramatic, on dramatic things. As he just, the dollar bills were just flowing. The Bible tells us this way. It says he wasted everything. The father had taken a lifetime to amass. The father had worked for all that, gave it to him. The son wasted it in a moment. Wild living. And Jesus in this moment, he tells them the story, and he, he wrenches it up a notch. Where he says, actually, you know what? This boy, hard times came upon him very as quickly as the money came, the quick money went. The phone calls, the phone that was ringing all the time, inviting him to parties. All of a sudden, when the, there was no more cash in the bank, they stopped coming. The friends are all chummy chummy at the pub. Hey, you can't pay for drinks. Ah, we'll call you. Don't call us. And he hits hard times hard. He didn't know, he didn't know where he was up was or down. He didn't know where to go, left or right. And actually he got to such a tough space where he thought, I, I'm going to have to do something really, really crazy. Now this is tough. Millennials might understand. He said, I'm going to have to do something really crazy. I'm going to have to get a job. I know. I know. And he said, I'm, I'm going to go get a job. And he goes and he, and he puts a CV out and goes, no thanks, no thanks. And eventually the only job he can get, and this is when Jesus gets the crowd, he says, the only job he could get was working in a pigsty with pigs. And now Pharisees are like, you are joking. The tax collector starts dry, dry heaving. Pigsty, no, no. The sinner's like, I can't listen anymore, I can't. Why? Because in a Jewish context, this was the most horrific thing. A Jewish boy had not only just blasphemed his father, a Jewish boy had not only taken the money and just spent it wildly and gone far geographically, spiritually, emotionally. He was now at the very bottom rung of society. He was in the one place they were forbidden to even touch. They would, they would, if, they, if you went near pigs, if you even thought you would, you would just be disqualified from any inheritance spiritually, you'd be disqualified from coming to God. You were the outcast if you went into the pigsty. And this is where Jesus puts the, 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 the man of the story right in the middle of the muck. And these guys are like, I can't hear it any longer. I can't. This is crazy. And Jesus says, you think that's bad? The boy starts to get hungry. He starts to eye the food that the pigs are eating. He's watching. He's like, maybe that'll be tasting good in my empty belly. And these guys are like, oh, my goodness. This, this guy. This guy. I hope he's going to get what he gets, what he deserves. This boy. This boy, can't have him, can't have it. So in this moment here, Jesus could have stopped the story and said, that's the end of my story. And all three of them would have left really happy, going, you know what? I've got a great story to tell my kids at home. Don't ever dishonor your father or you'll end up in a pigsty. All of them were like, that's a great story. Good story, Jesus. We like that one with a moral. Don't dishonor your father. It's a good one. But Jesus goes, takes a breath and says, but there's more. And they're like, there's more? Jesus takes, keeps going and he says this. He says, then the boy, the word is used, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He came as if out of a drunken stupor, suddenly realizing, what am I doing? Where am I? And actually, he starts to say, why am I here? When even in a home in my father's house, even the servants are looked after better than I am now. Now, I would like to just digress at this moment. So coming to your senses most people come to their senses in two ways. Number one, when they hit rock bottom or out of revelation. Unfortunately for my story, too often I've come to my senses when I've hit rock bottom. But I believe tonight for you and I, 
there's an opportunity for us to come to our senses because of the Word of God is being preached. You don't have to go to the very bottom to find who God is in the story. Moves on in the story, and he, says, he comes to his senses. and says, I'm going to go back to Dad. And he says, he starts prepping a speech, and he starts going, actually, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to plead my case. I'm going to work out a system of paying back Dad. I'll, I'll work this amount of hours. I can do that. I'll work overtime. I'll, whatever he needs me to do, I'm on it. And, and I'll pay him back over years. If we can work out a system, make, yeah, that dad, he's a businessman. I'll appeal to his business sense. He'll, he'll get that. And he's trying to justify it and perk himself up because he's very nervous about this moment. And he starts to head home. And I can imagine the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the sinners, all alike now going, that boy is going to get one heck of a lashing. And they'll be good. You know, it's like one of those stories where you really want the villain of the story just to get what's coming his way. They're all wanting that. Like, come on. Yeah, Jesus, set this boy up. And he says, the boy starts walking home. There's an emotion, emotional soundtrack in the background, I can imagine. A few flashbacks. And, he is, uh, and he's on his way back. And the Bible tells us that while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, it says the father saw him and ran to him. It's this amazing, incredible thing. Incredible. And the scripture says the father saw him, ran to him. And it says, why? Because his heart was filled with Blank. Now, I, I can imagine Jesus would have, if, if I was Jesus in that moment, said, because his heart was filled with, and he would have asked, what do you guys say, Pharisees? They would have said, anger. Of course. He's wasted everything. He's embarrassed the family. He's, he's tarnished the name of, 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 of the religious society of the day. This boy is, he's a, father is justified to be filled with anger. Tax collector says, anger. Anger. Even we're not that bad. We don't even eat bacon. Sinners are like, no, anger. The father was filled with anger. Surely, that makes sense. But Jesus takes the bread and says, the Father was filled with compassion. Now, what's remarkable, I think when we read that word, compassion often means like, it's, for me, it has this almost weak edge. Like, oh, I feel sorry for the person. The proper Greek rendering, it says, the Father felt wild joy and pain as if it was his own. This mixture of emotions of wild joy of seeing his son and the pain, knowing the pain his son had gone through as if it was his own. And this compassion led to the Father running to the son. This is the incredible thing as the story went on. He, Jesus says, and just he's freaking out the people listening, he says, the father ran to the son coming home. Now, this was preposterous because for in the Jewish culture, men didn't run. Only men who were poor or men who had, were running from something would, would run. If they were in trouble, if they were, had no money, they would be running. But actually, this was a father who seems to have had some means, and he was running. What this meant for them, reading the, having, wearing their long robes in those days, their outfits of choice, what was cool in those days, meant he would have had to run, would have had to hype, hike up his skirt like a little girl and sprint towards his son. This is another moment where like, this is just not fitting in their paradigms. No matter which, which lens of the three you're looking through, it just didn't make sense that this dad would run and embarrass himself. He would embarrass himself for the sake of this boy. Instead, he ran towards the boy. The next thing says he threw his arms around him and kissed him. The Greek says it kissed him and kissed him and kissed him. This is one of those moments where, where you start kissing your boy and just don't stop. And your boy's like, okay, enough, dad, enough, enough. This is the response of the father, not some light and fluffy, hello, son, nice to have you home. This is the father that sprints towards him, throws his arms around him, around the pigsty stained shirt, kisses and kisses and kisses him. And he goes even one further and he says this word that bothers me. He says, Quick, go get the robe, the ring, 
the sandals and the fattened calf. He says, quick. And I'm like, I don't like that word. Because if I'm that dad, I, I, I almost I feel like I, he should say, boy, are you back to get more money? Just want to make sure, eh? Or, or boy, you're going to go to a halfway house for a while and just get better and recuperated? Or boy, no, I'm just not going to tell your mom because she gets worked up in these situations. You're going to stay around the back for a few days so I can... That's what I would do. But this father, it's a word that just says, no, quick! First on the agenda, get the ring, get the robe, get the sandals, get the fattened calf that we've been fattening up and getting ready for that massive shindig that we had planned for some time. Tonight is the night we're going to party. This was not the response the boy was, was expecting. It was definitely not the response that the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the sinners were expecting. They all shocked at this moment. I want to say this moment, that the son, what the father was doing here, was the father was reminding that the son, had, the son was his son by birth, not by worth. Let me say it again. He was reminding his son that his son was his son by birth, not by worth. Too many times we live with this, I'm in credit or I'm in debt towards God. I'm, I am in, I'm out. I'm, am I his son? It's like we, we play the hokey pokey. I'm feeling good or I'm feeling bad. He loves me, he loves me not. Sir, ma'am, you are his son, his daughter by birth, not by your worth. At the center of his will is not you, it's his son Jesus. And his son Jesus has paid the ultimate price for you and I. So if we're at the center, we've got to stay at the center. But Jesus at the center, so the good news is he's always going to be at the center. We're sons by birth, not by worth. And I want to remind you of this. When the father says, let's celebrate, let's throw a party. If you're wanting to know what heaven is like, many times at funerals, they'll start, people conjure up images of, of you know, fluffy white clouds and floating around, humming amazing grace and cherubims. Oh, playing all, I don't know what that is, small violins. I'm not too sure. Didn't work that one through in my head. Mine was never my skill. But heaven is like that. I want to tell you, this chapter probably gives us a very clear description of what heaven's like. It is party central. The first story says, Jesus, 99, one goes last, he finds it. What do you do? We throw down in celebration. The coins, 10 coins of lost. One is lost, 10, one, nine, one's found. We th- what happens? We throw down in celebration. Here he says, the one who's lost, he's come home. We're going to party. If you don't like parties and loud noise and joy upon joy upon joy, you might have a wrong destination. Because heaven, I believe, is that if we look at the representation of the Father, it's not a Father that's keeping score. It's a Father that's ready to rejoice. Let me tell you, as we move on, this incredible story, Jesus takes hands and he says, actually, you know what? There was also another brother. And this other brother, the older one, who'd been working, toiling for the Father all these years, and says this, the older brother heard the noise of the party. That's how he knows it's a good party. He was out in the field and he heard the noise. That's, that's a big, <laughs> basements were going. Just a thought. He heard the noise, and he says to the servant, what's going on? My 21st is not for two weeks, man. Are they practicing? Hey, the fattened calf for that 21st is going to be kiss, eh? And the servant goes, oh, it's awkward. Uh, your brother, you know the one that you don't like? He's come home. You know the one that's been with prostitutes, that you've been checking on Instagram? You actually blocked him because you're like, I can't see that debauchery any longer. Just like, no, I can't. Yeah, you know that one? Yeah. He's come home, and uh, your dad's. Is having a party for him and killed your cow, probably. <laughs> he did what? And at this moment, he says, the, yeah, the, this, the scripture says, the older brother was filled with blank. Well, the, these guys listening are like, we got it wrong the first time. 
What was he filled with? Anger. No, anger. Ah, anger, anger. Yes, yes, that's what I was going to say. He was filled with anger. The, the, the message translation says he stalked around and sulked, refusing to go in. Just this, yes, this man, he, he, this, this older brother, and as the father comes out to plead and implore and urge him to come in, he's so angry, he says, Dad, you didn't even give me a goat. That's what religion does. Religion gets you to settle. When you had the fattened calf waiting for you, I, I, I would have settled even for a goat. But the son is so frustrated, and the father comes, and the father does this amazing thing. It says, the Greek says, he pleaded, he begged, he entreated. In both stories, the father went out to the son. He ran to the prodigal. He went out to the, the pharisaical older brother. And he says, actually, son, I need to implore with you and beg you to come. And the reason why, the reason why is because that which was lost is now found, and that which was dead is now alive. Mark made a statement last week that we as a local church are a hospital, not a, not a hospital just to put bandages on one another and just, are you okay? <coughs> I've got the black lung pop, like a little cough, you know. That was a quote from Zoolander, but anyway. Get more cultural. Rel- oh, sorry. But you know what I mean? Nursing each other's little small illnesses or my pinky toes. No, the Bible tells us, explains that we're a hospital, an emergency wing where dead people come alive. That's who we are. This is who the local church is. Let me give you an illustration. I've got a friend who is in a, in a, in a, in a band, and he told the story years ago. He said, actually, he's quite a, if I can use the word, a liberal Christian, quite a, a man with a, a lot of space. And I actually struggled with some of his freedom in Christ, actually. And this guy, who we, was an amazing man who, who showed us a lot of Jesus. He went to Australia to a church there one day. And then this man is so, actually, he, his whole life, he's actually geared, he started a band so they could go to the, the places that Christians couldn't get to. That was the driving motivation of heart. This is that guy who wants to be in the dark, dodgy, dingy places for the sake of the gospel. And this guy goes to Australia and he gets to a church where he's sitting there and he says it, was, it felt as if he was wearing a three-piece suit because he was so offended by the freedom of the people there. What happened? He said they, they, they had testimonies that Sunday of guys. And he said it looked as if it was in Australia, but he said it looked like it was some orcs from Lord of the Rings marched up to the front to share their testimony. They were so covered in tattoos and, and, and nose rings are just huge. And, and just, we're like, these guys are very intimidating. Like if they ask for your wallet, you give them the one. Okay. You give those guys, take up the tithes and offerings. Anyway. Just a thought. But these guys, they got up and they, they were sharing their testimony because they actually had found Christ the week before. They had encountered Jesus for the first time the week before. And these guys got up and shared the mic and they would share their testimony and they say, you know what? This is my life, what I've been doing for the last 20 years. But last week I met Jesus, and he's effing amazing. And Brad, sitting there, says he was horrified because the church cheered. Some jumped on their seats going, yeah, went down. And he was like, what the heck? And he's like, no ways, you can't, what's going on here? This is, and he was so freaked out by this whole thing. And afterwards the discourse ended, whereby the pastor comes to Brad after and says, Brad, what do you, what do you, how do you like the service? They're like, oh, well, it was interesting. Yeah, it was cool. Like, no, no, Brad, he said, I saw you that you're a bit uncomfortable. And he said, he said, I want to ask you a question. Why are we uncomfortable? No, nah, it'll be different. He said, Brad, actually, you know, your problem is not a stylistic issue. You've got a theological issue. But I was like, how do you come to that? He says, Brad, these guys were dead last week. They're now alive. We should be celebrating. If you go to a funeral and the dead person comes out of the coffin, and the first word they say might be a bit foul. You're not going to walk up to them and say, wash out your mouth. 
probably the first thing you'd do would be sprint out the back. But then you'd come back in going, you're alive! He said, Brad, we can sort out the swearing. We can sort out those things. But actually, what has happened here is what we're made to rejoice. A dead person has come alive. You see, Jesus is remarkable because he's getting into something deep in our hearts that we are all obsessed with lost stuff. In that church, my friend Brad was starting to get obsessed with the loss of control of what looks like a Christian. But Jesus says, actually, there's something more that's driving my heart than your control, than your ability to make this thing happen. This evening, I would like to suggest that I believe that there are prodigals here, people who've run far from God, who need to come home. Maybe you're here, maybe it's spiritually, emotionally, you've run, you've let your heart go to places that you wish you could have back. I believe tonight's the night to come to your senses. Stop living a life of sin. Stop living in the pigsty. The Bible tells us this word, repentance. Repentance basically is not coming groveling and saying, where do I begin? Snakes and ladders. How do I work my way back into God's favor? Repentance, as one great preacher once told us, simply is re-returning pent to the penthouse. That's what the son did. The prodigal returned back to the father's house. He wanted to come and say, I'll come in as a servant. The father says, no, you won't. Repentance means coming back, leaving your life of sin, but coming back and living as a son. Stop living as a slave. Stop living as a servant. Live as a son or a daughter of the king. That is repentance. I believe prodigals tonight, this is a moment for you and I to turn our hearts back to Jesus, the Father. There's also, I believe, two, another group of people here, and I, I might be in this group as well, a whole bunch of older brothers who also, just as almost the same level, need to come to their senses. Stop living angry and critical and judgmental and small. You see, it's the prodigal versus the Pharisee, the self-destructive versus self-righteous. I believe there's a little bit of of both in all of us. But you know what? The story is actually not about the prodigal. It's actually not about the the older brother. It's been mistitled. The story that Jesus was telling that day was actually raising up a central character, the father. And I want to tell you that today, again, you're not the center of your story. Thank God there's a father who is. He says, I will rewrite your future if you allow me. And this is what the father is saying. And I want to give you understanding of who the Father is. Three points. The first one will come behind me very quickly. Is this who the Father is? The Father seeks. In this story, the Father seeks. From, he will never stop seeking. He searches out. He runs far. And His grace runs further still. You think you've sinned too far? The Father is seeking and seeking you out past that limit. His grace goes further than any sin. This is who the Father is. Secondly, the Father doesn't just seek. He's also running. The Father runs. And I I love the fact that the only time in Scripture we see that the Father or representation of God running is to the sinner coming home. He's never in a hurry. He's never stressed. The only time he hikes up his skirt and runs is to the son coming home. This is the logic. met someone the other day and they said to me, I've sinned too badly to come to church. Here's the logic. I am too sick. I can't go to the doctor. Surely, Jesus, is this the, the church should be the source of healing for those who are too far gone. And Jesus goes, you haven't seen how far I've gone. I died for you. This is the understanding, sir, ma'am, that actually we believe that, the, that it should be easy to come back to church. No matter how far people have gone, we are going to make space in our hearts, space in our church for sinners to come home. That's why we exist. Because I was once one. 
and he came after me. The father seeks, the father runs, and finally the father celebrates. I love that image of the running, dancing, kissing father. He clothes him, he empowers him, and he doesn't hold him at arm's length. This is the father that we serve, a seeking, running, celebrating father over one thing. I land this evening by telling you a story of a friend of ours, a, a preacher, an amazing preacher in America. And he told this story that's captivated our hearts. And this man said that he, he, has, he has five children. And, uh, and he went to the, the, the Walmart of the day, the big Walmart there in America, with this has aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles and aisles. And he went shopping with the kids. And as they're going with the kids, the, the five of them following in procession, they're shopping, they're filling the carts. And after a while, he looks back and he counts the kids as, as dads of big families would do. One, two, three, four. Where's the fifth one? Where's Joseph? Where's the little one? I don't know. He was with you. I don't know. I don't know. He was, he was with us, I'm sure. And the dad's a little bit irritated at first. Wow, Joseph, man, slowing us down. Joseph! Joe! You haven't seen your brother? No. So then he goes and he, uh, just a little bit irritated, but a little bit nervous. Because I think, well, Joseph, where's this kid? So he goes up to the, the guy who's one of the checkout guys. He says, hey, have you seen my kid? I came in at five. He's yay high. Looks similar to me. No, I haven't seen him. Now, the irritation is now, it's a bit panic. Now it's a bit like, guys, where the heck is Joseph? Where is Joseph? And now he's not just looking, peering down aisles. He's starting to run down aisles. Joseph? Joseph? And then he gets the other four kids, and he says, four kids, you're going to stay here, right? here in the Omo cleaning aisle, because no weird people come here, only moms, so it's safe. Safe. And he, and he goes, Joseph? And, and he says, you sprint, 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 looking for Joseph. And the story ends with him eventually finding Joseph tucked back in a little room with, with his toys. And he finds Joseph who got distracted and wandered off and went astray. And he finds Joseph and he brings him back. And his big crescendo in the story is to say, in that moment, he didn't look and go, you know what? Joseph is missing, but I've got four. That's 80%. It's a, it's a good A. It's a higher grade A. Come on. Honey, there's only four, but you know what? At least 80%. Come on. No, no, no. You see, I didn't do that in that moment. I wasn't going, at least I've got four. No, no. In that moment, everything inside of his heart beated to find Joseph. Joseph. I'll do anything to find Joseph. This dad was obsessed with his lost boy in that moment. And I believe God is trying to turn this series. He's trying to turn our hearts as people to become obsessed. Because he knows that we are obsessed with lost stuff as human beings. So he's saying, will you be obsessed with what I'm obsessed about? This, um, this evening. I say we are a church obsessed with lost things because we have a father who's obsessed with lost things. Can we pray?